never forget why you are the church. That we are to expect victory in our lives for Christ. That is the theme. That is the really the, I guess, the battle cry uh, that God has specifically put on my heart uh, late last year that I, I believe that a lot of churches, a lot of Christians, a lot of believers, a lot of well-intended uh, people, they, they know what the Scripture says. They know that, that Jesus rose again on the third day. They know that he defeated death, hell, and the grave. They know that, that we have the Holy Spirit. That is the seal of our salvation. That is the earnest payment, that we are kept by the power of God. We know all these things, that we have the fruit of the Spirit, yet for some reason, some of the most defeated people in this world should be the most victorious people in this world. This must infiltrate our mindset, how we talk, how we do everything in our life. We should expect victory in our obedience to Christ. Last week, we looked at the first key of expecting victory, and key one was very simple. Do not let your past sin control you. Do not let your past sin control you. Hear me, what God has forgiven should not keep us from living for him today. There are too many believers that feel like because of what they did a long time ago, because of what they did last week, whatever it is, that, 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 they, that God cannot use them ever, ever again. That is a lie from the devil. There's a reason why we can go to the throne of grace and boldness in our time of need. There is a reason why the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a reason for that. We are to live. We are to walk in victory. You know why it's important to expect victory? Now, there's, there, there are uh, certain people that they take it to a whole extreme of they, they get arrogant in their faith. That's not what I'm talking about. But I want you to know something. When you expect to win, you'll play differently. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've, I've, I've played a little bit of basketball in my lifetime, and, and, and I like basketball. I like tennis. I like pickleball is, is by far. Disc golf, you know, is number one for me in my heart forever and ever. Amen. However, uh, pickleball is a close second, but, but I don't know. There's a, there's a man. I, I grew up going to church with him. He still, he still goes, and he, he's awesome, but his name is uh, Terry Stone. Anyone know Terry Stone? Someone get, hey, 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 hey. Okay, anyway, that's Terry Stone, okay? But either way, Terry, I love you if you're listening. But anyway, we, he plays tennis on a, uh, on a you know, pretty serious level. And there's been times where we've gone and played tennis, and he has been my opponent. Let me just tell you something. That dude is one of those dudes, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he is not young, right? He's a little bit older in age, okay? But he will stand there and do this right here with a tennis racket. And you are running around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to return it. You know what I'm saying? It's terrible. But when I play someone like him, you know what I do? I expect defeat. So you know what? I may give up on some of those that I know I can't get to. I, I, I may not try as hard. When he serves it and it's coming really fast, I might just go like this right here. Why? Because I'm expecting to lose anyway. Now, a lot of us Christians, we wake up and because of the lack of faithfulness, because of lack of obedience, we have had a mindset of, well, today's just going to be another defeat. Sin's just going to take hold of me again today. 
And that's why we're not seeing a church make the impact in our communities that we're supposed to. That's why our homes are, are, are being a playhouse for the enemy. Because we're not expecting victory. When you expect victory, you'll live differently. The enemy will attempt to stop us with deception by living in the past. The enemy has been defeated. Do not listen to him. Live in the freedom of of, uh, grace that God gives us today. But the next key that we're going to be talking about is key number two. And the key number two is have a mind to work. Have a mind to work. And we're going to be kind of going, you know, not all over the place, but we're going to be flipping some pages in your Bible this morning. Is that okay? We're going to be pretty much staying in Nehemiah. But Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 6 says this right here. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together into the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Now, don't worry, if you've never heard of the story of Nehemiah, if you've never read Nehemiah, I'm going to give some backstory here in a little bit. But the one thing that you got to get on your mind right now is the theme of today, what the message today is, the key to expecting victory is have a mind to work. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you allow me to preach this today with power, clarity, and liberty, God. Lord, I pray those that have ears to hear, let them hear. God, I ask you today that we as a church, we as a people, we as a body, that we have a mind to work, that we expect victory because we serve a victorious Savior. And for that person here who is lost, God, I pray today, through the powerful name of Jesus, the one who lived, died, and rose again, they may be saved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen Amen and amen. Now, I want to give you some backstory to what is happening here. I almost did a book study on Nehemiah, but God kind of took me a different way uh, for our our next book study. And I will announce that uh, later on because we'll be in Nehemiah. Uh, If you've ever put together a message or a lesson, do you, do you have a plan when you go into that lesson plan, right? You have a plan. So you're like, okay, we're going to get this done on this Sunday, and it's going to be great. Now, I don't know how long you have been at Cedar Grove Baptist Church, but that very rarely happens to this preacher. I say that to say I had a plan going in. We, it was going to be great. We were going to do our last little expect victory message, then go into our book study next week. And by the time I knew it, I was on an extra point that I put in there that God put on my heart, according to Nehemiah, and it was like page six. And I said, there's no way, unless y'all want to stay till two o'clock this afternoon, that we'll be able to get to it all. So we're going to start this particular key this morning, and we're going to finish it up next morning. And I, and I, I want you to understand what I'm saying. This is a very important thing. So let's get some backstory, and then we'll go ahead. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, this was a prominent position in the Persian kingdom, really a prominent position in any kingdom, right? The cupbearer was a very trusted person to the king. They were the ones that made sure that no one could poison the king, right? They would drink of, of, of the wine. They would, they would take whatever he was drinking, and they'd sip it. Okay, it's good to go. I'm not dead, so you're fine to drink it, right? That was the cupbearer. No doubt he enjoyed the privilege and abundance this kind of position offered. As a matter of fact, in a lot of kingdoms, I don't know why I always have to choke when I have a mic on my face. You know what I'm saying? That's just uncomfortable. Say, help him, Lord. 
Thank you. My goodness. But in that, in, in, in that kingdom and a lot of other kingdoms, uh, the cupbearer actually uh, most likely served as a counselor or an advisor to the king because of the relationship they had with the king. So if you're thinking about this, everything's going good for old Nehemiah. I mean, he, no doubt he lives in the palace. He has a nice suite in the palace. He gets to eat all the cool foods. He gets to do all the things that the, that the king gets to do. Now, you might say, has anyone ever, uh, have, do we have any teacher's pets in here? Was anyone a teacher's pet in school? Are you a teacher's pet? Okay. There's no, raise your, listen, I know in class you didn't do this. All right, so in class, if you were a teacher's pet, raise your hand. All right, okay. Now, why were you a teacher's pet, right? Because you wanted to have the influence. You wanted, I was kind of sort of dependent on the teacher, but I knew that if I was trying to be a teacher's pet, I was trying to get something out uh, that someone else would not be able to get. Now, Nehemiah, again, I'm not saying that he was a teacher's pet or a, or a kingdom pet, but I'm telling you that he had influence in the kingdom. But that was until everything was going good, until his brother came from Judah and reported that the remnant in Jerusalem, by the way, Nehemiah was a Jew, the remnant in Jerusalem, they were afflicted and the walls of the city were broken down and the gates were burned with fire. Have you ever had a, been a good day going and all of a sudden you get bad news and that good day turns to a bad day? I don't know if you saw, but yesterday we grilled for the first time this year. Anyone like grilling? I love grilling. I had bacon on there, big old fat cheeseburgers, man, it was amazing. It was amazing. And so I'm sitting there, and before that, though, we were, man, it was, it was me and Heather, uh, uh, Shar Shar and, and Mima took the girls to Chuck E. Cheese, and, and it was just me and Heather going to have lunch. We're going to have a little date lunch, you know what I'm saying? And, man, it's all happening. It's exciting. I'm like, man, this is great. It's good weather. We've been working in the garage. You know, just one of those days you're like, man, it's a good day. And I'm getting that grill out, and, man, and we have the burgers and everything, and, and I try to turn on the propane. I pick it up. Propane's empty. Let me tell you something. I'm not saying this is bad news as, as Nehemiah got, but it was pretty stinking bad news for me. So I had to go to Publix, and I had to get new propane. They had a big sign that said no propane, but really it wasn't a new sign. It was an old sign, so I'm getting anxiety going on because I'm thinking, man, these burgers are not going to grill itself. Heather's like, I'm hungry. Let's just cook them inside. I'm like, no, it is nice outside. We are going to eat burgers outside. And I just, just let you know, in case you are wondering, in case you, are, you care about it, we did get the burgers cooked, the bacon cooked, everything happened. But when, when we get bad news in our life, a lot of times that can mess us up. That can ruin our mood. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever moved away from your home and someone came to you and said, hey, by the way, your home is burned down, that'd be some pretty bad news. Well, that, that's what's happened to Nehemiah here. Uh, the, things were in desperately bad shape. Nehemiah, a man of prayer, prayed to God who gave him opportunity to tell the king what was going on. See, his reaction was not to get bitter. His reaction was not to get mad. His reaction was not to quit. His reaction was to, and we're going to talk about this a little bit further, but his reaction was to instantly go into prayer. Can I tell you what I didn't do when that propane tank was empty? I didn't pray about it. A lot of us, when we get bad news, we don't necessarily just go to prayer. What we do is we get, we get complaining. We get griping. We get murmuring. That wasn't what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah prayed to the Lord, the only one that could really do anything about it. So this led to Nehemiah being commissioned to go back to Jerusalem and build back the walls and the gates. So Nehemiah went. 
Now, again, I'm giving you a synopsis here. I'm giving you an overlay right here. But again, how great are things? He was able to go. What a victory it was for the king to allow him to go do what he knew he needed to do. Well, things were not so easy for long. Nehemiah delegated work to all the people. Everyone had a part in building back the wall and the gates. See, in that time, uh, uh, no wall and no gates left the city completely vulnerable to attack. If you didn't have a wall, you were not a strong city. If you didn't have gates, things were not going good. In other words, your enemies could attack you from any point they wanted to and ambush you in your own house. Does that make any sense? It was critical that this job got done. But opposition came quite quickly. First off, and this is what we're going to talk about today. If we're going to have a mind to work and if we're going to expect victory, we better expect adversity. If we're going to expect victory, we we better expect adversity. Go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. See, the king gave official papers that carried the authority to fulfill this mission. In other words, it was like if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you need to do something, you say, well, I need a license for that. In other words, he had a certification. He had a license. He, he was able to do the work that he needed to do because the king gave him official papers that said so. He also sent with Nehemiah captains of the army and horsemen to accompany him. Again, everything's looking up. I mean, that's a, pre- that's a pretty good little gig right there. But now look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Sanballat and Tobiah were both governors under the king of Persia. Why were these two men so displeased with what was going on with Nehemiah? We look back at verse 10. It says, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Those are some petty people, ain't they? You say, now how in the world, why would it grieve them so much? What's the big deal? What's the problem here? Well, it could have been they wanted control of Judah for themselves under their authority. Right? Again, they're governors of a, of, a, of a location. They're governors within the kingdom. So they're thinking, man, we want to control this. We want to have this. It could have been they hated God's people. Whether it was political or personal does not matter. The foundation of the issue was neither. It was a spiritual warfare that was going on. See, these two men did not want to see God's work done. Nehemiah's victory grieved their spirits. How dare someone care about the welfare of Israel? How dare somebody try to go to Jerusalem and build back up the walls? How dare somebody serve the Almighty God? Church, your opposition, our opposition, our adversaries may not be named Sanballat or Tobias, but the motivation is the same. We have a mission on this earth. Build God's kingdom. Expand the gospel reach, and it starts with our own home. There's many homes that might have walls surrounding their home, but the walls really are not there. There's many homes that might lock their doors at night, but really the doors are unlocked spiritually. 
And see, we need to have men. We need to have women. We need to have families that upon God's will builds back up the walls and the gates thereof of their home. Because until we do, the enemy will have his way. But it starts with our home. Hear me today. We may not have official government letters, but I've got a love letter right here. (laughs) See, I've got a love letter right here in my hands that tells me how Jesus lived how he died and rose again. And because I confessed with my mouth that he is Lord and believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I don't need papers from a king. I've got an official seal from the king of kings and Lord of lords. I have authority to protect my family. I have authority to protect my church family. You say, well, what do you do for a living, Jacob? Well, I preach. Well, that, that, that can mean a lot of things, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I can, that, people think that Sunday's the only day that, that a preacher works and all this stuff. And all. Can I tell you this? Most of my work, if you really want to know the, the, the bottom, the, the really what it is, most of my work is making sure or at least trying and pleading and begging and warning and cautioning, hey, let's build these walls back up. Let's get these gates secure. The enemy's trying to attack. The enemy's trying to attack. Listen, if you ever felt a burden like that, you would understand how important it is to pray for each other other because the enemy wants you i have been born again i have been given a mission and if you have a personal relationship with jesus so do you however we must expect adversity first peter 5 8 says this be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour If he can, he will. And the only, the only way he can is if you let him. How do you handle such adversity? How do you handle such attacks? Well, how did Nehemiah, and this is what we're going to kind of go into detail here. How did Nehemiah handle this? Well, after this, Nehemiah made it to Jerusalem. Let's take a moment for a second. It's very difficult to stop someone when their heart's in it. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, they, they, they may make mistakes. They may stumble along the way, but it's very difficult to stop somebody when their heart's in it. Listen, I coached uh, Blue League, and everyone knows that, for about five years. And I had this young man, and, uh, and man, he was a defensive beast. I'm talking about he didn't care. That's what he wanted to do. You know why? His heart was in it. He wasn't good at shooting. He wasn't really that good at a layup. He wasn't that good at dribbling. But I can tell you this, whenever we played somebody, he guarded their best guy. So now their best guy wasn't really that good at shooting or, or dribbling or lead because, hey, guess what? This dog was on him. Does anyone understand what I'm saying here? You say, why in the world would he do that? Because his heart was in it. It wasn't even really about me yelling. It wasn't really even about me coaching. There was something within this young man that said, I, don't, I know what I can't do, but I know what I can do. And I know that whatever I can do, I'm going to do it as good as I possibly can. And he did it. You say, well, what happened? Well, he fouled out of your game. <laughs> He just did. Just about every game, I'm sitting there like, how how many you got, buddy? He was like, I got a few more, coach. You know what I'm saying? But can I tell you this? I'd rather somebody just like that 
Look, he had five in the game. I'm not, I'm not saying we need to mess up, but I'd rather, ha- I'd rather have to come over to Jay and say, Jay, now listen, hey, I know you're excited. Man, I know you're, I know you're fired up. I know your heart's in it. But hey, let's talk about this. Let's pray about this. You know what I'm saying? Let's, instead of me saying, hey, are you alive? Come on. Don't you love Jesus? Don't you want to serve him? I'd much rather have to curb passion than have to try to manufacture it. Does anyone know what I'm saying today? Nehemiah's heart was in this mission. He went to Jerusalem. Now, that may be why the church is so easy to stifle today. Are our hearts actually in what we are doing? Is our deepest longing and desire to do the will, the business of the Father, to live out the mandate of our King? I hear a lot of I don't knows within God's people. Hey, what you think about this? I don't know. By the way, let me tell you how annoying that is to me. I want you to look to your spouse and say, hey, what do you want to eat at the church today? What are they going to say? I don't know. I don't care. That's annoying. That's irritating, right? But listen, people all the time, well, I don't know if I really want to serve. I just, you know, I just kind of like sitting here and and getting blessed. I just, I preacher, just just preach to me, preacher. Let me just tell you something. If I I could just, I'm not even going to go there anyway. I don't know enough, preacher. I can't do this because I don't know enough. Can I tell you something? You've been saying that for the last seven years. Get to knowing something. We got it right here in our face, man. Well, I just don't know if I feel like, if I feel like it. Can I tell you something? I, let, me, let, me try to, let me try to treat you like a little injured bird. That don't matter. You say, what do you mean it don't matter? If I live based on how I felt all the time, y'all would have fired me a long time ago. If I live based on what I felt, it'd be hard to live for Jesus that way. You see, so many people are looking for a feeling. Well, I just don't know. I just We're not serving a feeling. We are serving a king. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Well, I just don't know. Fill in the blank. Church, we better get to know it. Because until we get to knowing, we will never get to going. Well, I just need to figure things out. Well, let's think about that process for Nehemiah. Let's think about how he figured things out for Nehemiah right here. Well, he, first, he first hears of the disarray and destruction of Jerusalem. He first hears that there was such a critical, intense need that, that what, what did he do? Well, in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, he heard the report. And verse 4 says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, of course, I want you to go home and with your family. You can read Nehemiah together. It's not that long of a book, especially these first few chapters will fly by. But this wasn't no, well, God, that, that sounds pretty tough. What would you like me to do? This was a petition to the Lord. We, we learned quickly that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He pleaded with the Lord. He petitioned for God's people. He seeked the will of God. He said, God, would you help me with this? You know the need, so equip me to meet it. Hallelujah. It wasn't too long after that, the king of Persia commissioned him back to Jerusalem. Nehemiah then went right to work. Now, from verses 11 through 17 of chapter 2, we find that once at Jerusalem, Nehemiah inspects the condition of the city. So in other words, he's kind of seeing the layout, what needs to happen. 
It's kind of like if you work in construction or whatever, you go and you you go and see what work needs to be done first, and then you come back and you plan how to most effectively get that done. That's what Nehemiah was doing in Jerusalem. He found the city worse than he could have ever imagined, burned down to rubble, so bad that the donkey that he was riding around on couldn't even get past the rubble at the eastern wall. He had to go another way. That's how bad it was. Well, what was his response? Well, in chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, then said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in. He's talking to the people that are with him. How Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. In other words, Nehemiah says, Hey, guys, it's bad. This is a big project right here. But my God can do it. (laughs) And you know what they said? Let's get to work. Let me just tell you something. You know what's amazing? How a church should be? Hey, you know what? Our community is pretty bad. there's, There's things going on in our homes that no one else knows about. If there's nothing else we can pray, if there's nothing else we can work upon our knees in prayer for, if there's nothing else we can go and, and hand out backpacks, we can go do whatever it is. We can go love on people in the community, actually go and share the gospel. And instead of saying, oh, well, I don't know, let me check my calendar. You know what these people said? They were so committed. Hey, let's get to work. They strengthened their hands to work. I want you to think about the size of this project. All of chapter 3, the entire chapter, I'm not going to read it to you because you'll just go straight to sleep. And then, well, you'll probably be laughing at me because there's a lot of names that I probably don't know how to pronounce in chapter 3. But all of chapter 3 is dedicated to Nehemiah assigning all the work that needed to be done. And let me just tell you, it was extensive. I'm I'm not trying to plug this in. You know what? I might have just been not, you know, honest with you just then. I am very much so trying to plug this in. Think about this. What are we trying to do with this? We're assigning the work. We're going to take this month to strengthen our hands. Why? So we can have a mind to build, a mind to work. That's that's exactly what, on a larger scale, obviously, right? But that was exactly what Nehemiah was doing here. It took everyone being on mission. Christians today would sit around for years trying to discern God's will. Listen, I've heard it. And listen, now, before I even say this, understand this. There is a process, and we even see with with Nehemiah, and we'll talk about it, but there is definitely a needed and necessary process of sitting still and just being with God to discern his will. I'm not saying you just jump to a conclusion every single time there's an... But what I am saying is there's more people that are sitting there saying they're discerning God's will, but really, they just don't want to do anything. If you look at the timeline here in Nehemiah, Nehemiah began praying around four months. Four months of prayer later, God gave him opportunity to speak freely to the king of Persia. Four months after that, the work began in Jerusalem. In other words, all the people that was going to go, all the materials, all the planning, all the logistics, all the travel, All that stuff was done 
And in four months, they were in Jerusalem. Now, you say, what in the world? What does this mean for us? Well, let me, let me say this real quick. When you know what to do, do it. When you know what to do, do it. You know what? I feel like a lot of people in the church, I don't know how you do it at your home, but I feel like, I hope it's a universal thing or I feel really bad right now. But has anyone, has anyone uh, stretched the capacity and the capability of a trash bag in their kitchen as far as it could possibly go? Anyone ever done that? Let me tell you something. Let me just tell you something. Me and Heather, we are the worst at that. Actually, you know what? I can't even say it's Heather's fault. You know why? Because I'm the man of the house. If there's one thing I can do is take out the trash. I live in a city. I put it in a bucket, put it at the end of the driveway, and they come get it. But listen, seriously, think about it for a second. We, we can all relate to that. We'll sit there and we'll, I mean, I'm talking about, you ever done this thing right here? Oh, man, no, we're good, we're good. And then guess what happens? We do that, I do that, she does that. River's even gotten to where she's like, oh, you know what I'm saying? Like she's just trying to push it down. <laughs> but listen, and all of a sudden, I'm try- now, now the work needs to actually be done. It's, it's, it's full. And you know what I do? I try to pick it up. Have you ever had the trash bag just rip on you? And then just something in your spirit just gets angry. And you're like, why do we do this every single time? And then you got to get your hands in the trash. And let me just tell you something. When you got little kids that are in diapers, you just don't want to do that. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Well, I really don't know. But, <laughs> no, seriously, when you know to do something, do it. To bring that illustration back to us, think about it. There's so many needs that a local church has. There's so many needs that ministry has. There's so many needs that your home spiritually has, and you know to do it. But you keep on filling that void with trash and trash and trash. And then when you actually try to do it, it's a disaster. And you think, why? I'm just going to give up. This is why I don't ever do it in the first place. When all you had to do was just do it when God put it on your heart. It shouldn't take years and years for us to find clarity on how to serve God. Well, I'm just looking for peace. No, you aren't. No, you are not. I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying overall. You're looking for something else other than what God has clearly told you. What task has God given you? What need has God revealed to you? If you examine your home, has the enemy come and burned down the gates? Has has the walls of your home spiritually turned to rubble? What are you going to do about it? You're just going to keep on filling it with trash. But remember, when we expect victory, you better also expect adversity. Now, remember, he just told him, hey, it's a big job. It's a hard job. But... God is on our side. That, what a mo- by the way, what a moment. I mean, could you imagine that moment? I mean, it doesn't take much to get me hyped up, right? I don't know if you know that or not, but I get excited pretty easy. And I'm just going to tell you right now, if, if, you, if, you're, if I was there, man, I'm, I've never wanted to grab a shovel. I'm not that kind of dude. Like, I'm not going to want to say, hey, let's just go dig this hole. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not that dude, okay? I'm more like, hey, you know, does the hole need to be dug? You know what I'm saying? And if it does, is there an easy way to do this? But I can tell you this. I can tell you if I was there, and I hope, I hope this at least. Man, could you imagine just the intensity of that moment? Hey, listen, it's a big job, but God is on our side. And right after that, right after that mountaintop, look at verse 19 of Nehemiah 2. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem. Now there's another guy. 
The Arabian heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? See, we first saw them just grieved, right? They were upset. No doubt they talked about them. They gossiped about them, right? They murmured to each other. Oh, look at Nehemiah trying to do God's work. What's wrong with him? Well, that, that, that's, that's ridiculous. That, that, that city is, is no good. It's rubble. The, the, the gates will never be put back up. The walls will never be fixed, whatever. But now they've, they've taken a step further. They've stepped up their game. They ridiculed them, laughed, despised them. See, they, they, they were actually making fun physically, audibly of these people. Most westernized Christians would have packed up and gone home and said, too much persecution here. Oh, well, I tried, but then that person told me that I was a Bible thumper. Preacher, can you believe that? I don't even read my Bible except on Sunday. How can I be a Bible thumper? You'll get that when you get home. Oh, well, you know, I, I, tried, to get, I tried to get my spouse to do a, to do a devotion, and, 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 and it just didn't work out. I can't tell you how many times, listen, that we, in our home, right, we sit there and we say, we're going to start this, we're going to start this, and, man, it's so easy for the enemy to come in, and you just all of a sudden you haven't done it for weeks and weeks. Well, she, you know, she just, she just gets irritated at me when I, when, when, when I ask questions. Could you, by the way, let's, let's all pray for Heather. Could you imagine doing a devotion with your husband as your pastor? So what does that, eschatolo- that eschatology mean to you? What, what, what does this mean for end time? What, hold on, no, 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 that's not a good answer. Give me a better answer. That's, that's, I need to learn how to do that better because she's like, Jacob, I'm done with this. Just trying to grow her up, you know. See, most of us would have packed up and gone home. It's too much. But that, but that wasn't all, by the way. They accused them of rebelling against the king. Now they're, now they're throwing false accusations. By the way, rebelling against the king is very different than rebelling against our president today. I don't care where, what side you lay on. I'm just saying, you rebel against the king, you get your head cut off. You, you get to put to death. It's not like, you know, you get on Facebook and just blast the king. No, that's not what happens. You get blasted with, like, you know, swords, and you die. That's, that's what would happen. So, this, so this, this accusation was a very, very big deal. Over time, the, these adversaries would attempt to intimidate with false reports, deceive with false prophets, and even influence the nobles of Judah. Amazing how Satan has not had to change his techniques even to this day. But remember, Nehemiah was on a mission. Look at verse 20. Then answered I them. And said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. Now, I love this right here. Man, you're talking about, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. <laughs> I want you to read that later on and just see the, see the impact of that statement. Nehemiah, even under serious Scrutiny, opposition, persecution never wavered. Why? He knew the God of heaven was on his side. Well, preacher, I've never faced opposition like that, or I've really never faced any opposition. I'm just a, I'm just a good dude that loves the Lord. Well, can I tell you that? That means you're not ever actually going to work for the Lord. Because when you do, the enemy will attack. And when he does, what should we do? We should declare exactly what Nehemiah did. When the enemy is trying to attack your marriage, your children, your home, your church, your community, 
You know what we can declare to him? <laughs> Devil, you have no portion. You have no right. You have no memorial in my life, in my home, or my family. I'm submitting to God, resisting you. Therefore, the Bible says he must flee. They could expect victory because they had a mind and a mandate to work. Church, do you? Are you expecting victory? Do you have a mind to work? Or are you trying to stretch that trash bag as far as it will go? Can I tell you something? There is so much to be done. It's almost overwhelming sometimes. I find it so, so often our, our churches get, there's so much that we could do that we don't actually do anything. We talk about it, but we don't actually be about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, we'd love to do this and be a part of that. And we can't be a part of everything, but I'm talking about it. It's so often we, we talk about all these grand ideas and all these grand ministries, and very few of them actually come to be. I want you to know that we don't have to do everything, but we do need to do what God has mandated us to do. And if nothing else, God has mandated us to open our mouths wherever we are and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can tell you this, someone who's sharing and someone who's living each and every day sharing the gospel proclaiming the good news that he lived, died, and rose again, will have no problem serving. Will have no problem as someone, as someone preaches the word or, or, they, or they, they, they hear a need and, and, and they pray about it, say, God, this, this, is, this is where I, I hear a need. I've been asking for an opportunity to serve. This is it. It may not be exactly what I wanted. It may not be exactly what I intended, but this is the need that I need to feel. So, God, give me the opportunity to do so. I can tell you this, he will. So this morning, let me ask you something. Well, who do you relate to more? Nehemiah and the people that were going to Jerusalem to build the walls back up or Sanballat and Tobias? Notice they didn't do anything except try to hinder. Do you know that inactivity is very active? So church, what? You say, what's the first step? The first step is to look at the walls and the gates of your home. Listen, you can't get, you, don't come here and put on a good face if you're going home to a burning mess. If anything, come here broken. Come here seeking. Come here pursuing. Some of the worst times I've ever had in any kind of ministry is when, is when maybe I was, uh, me, me and uh, Heather was arguing, or, or maybe I blew up on the kids or, or, or said something I shouldn't have said, and, 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 man, I know that I need to ask for forgiveness. I know that I need to repent, but, but I said, but I got work to do. You know, the first work that I have, even before I'm a preacher, is to protect my home. That's the first work I have. I can't do what I'm doing this morning if I'm not doing that. So the first thing we do is, hey, let's examine our homes. Are there any walls that are cracking? Are there any gates that are, that are out of repair? Do, what do we need to do in our homes? 
The next thing we do, hey, we got that on lock. Right? We, have, we have everything how it needs to be. It's, it's a continuous process. I get that. But the next thing is, hey, guess what? We're your family too. So how are you going to help this family? 